Thank you for being here this morning. We welcome those online who are joining us. I'm Pastor Andrew, for those who don't know me. Um, we're glad to have some familiar faces back in the building this week. Um, glad to see you, Mary. Glad you made it. Um, so as we get going in this, in this series, we've been talking about feelings, right? Who's been feeling something this, this series? Feeling something, right? We've been feeling just a little bit. Um, how do you like the new seating arrangement? You've been feeling some uh, attitudes about that? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad, I'm glad that you guys are here. Um, I just want to get into this message this morning and just kind of talk about where we've been coming. The reason that we've been talking about feelings is we understand that our feelings should be a what? It should be a thermometer to let us know where we are in our relationship with God. Are we hot? Are we cold? Or how, how, is, um, how are our attitudes? What is our focus? That's what these feelings should do. They shouldn't drive what we do, but they indicate how we're feeling so that we can make a change. And that's what a thermostat does. A thermostat makes the change in the temperature, and so the feelings should point to the need for a change. We got it? We good? All right. So um, the first week, we talked about anger. We talked about what happens um, when, we, when we get angry, right? We affect people. We talk about how to control that. And last week, we talked about apathy, lack of passion, right? This is our meh face, and this is our angry face. Well, it, it was important that we started with those two things because anger is a, is a, it's a feeling of passion, right? But the thing is, we can get angry about the wrong things, and we can get angry about the right things and react in the wrong way, and we need to be careful that our feelings don't drive a response that's sinful, but last week when we talked about apathy, the bad thing is that we don't feel anything. And the important thing, the change that needs to happen is to develop a passion. And one of the verses that we've been looking at all week was Romans 12, 11. Who's had their alarm set going off at 12, 11 every day? I have, yes. And so this is the, the verse that we looked at. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, last week I talked about the need for passion, but I really didn't talk into maybe why we lack it or, why we, or how we can push for that passion to serve God. Um, and if you notice anything about the songs this morning, um, the first one was, talk, was, was talking about, I sing wherever I go, right? We sing for our joy in the Lord. We're excited about who God is. And so we come in here and we start out our service with this idea of we're excited to sing and share who God is. But then the next three songs, they point to who God is. You see, that's what's going on. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. If you want to have passion, if you want to react in anger the right way, we've got to know who God is. And that is the key to everything in these feelings series. Everything that we do revolves around our understanding of who God is because when we understand God better, then we can react and respond to Him in a righteous way. Everybody with me? You guys are looking a little sleepy this morning. I'm going to keep asking that. I'm going to make everybody stand up and sit down. Should I do that? Should I make you move seats? Well, so this morning we're, we're going to talk about a different feeling. We're going to talk about the feeling of, of maybe why we're apathetic and why we lack passion. Well, last week we understood that apathy says what? I don't care. In fact, apathy says that doesn't matter. And we're going to understand this morning that something that is very important should matter. But we're apathetic toward it. 
And maybe the reason we don't have passion to serve God in our life, maybe the reason that we don't have excitement when we think about the name of Jesus is because we haven't been met with godly grief. This morning, we're going to talk about the feeling of grief or sorrow. Okay, now, you know, I looked... I looked at a bunch of different emojis, I looked at a bunch of different things, a bunch of different pictures of what it looks like for grief, and you know, I almost didn't come up here this morning with anything. I almost didn't come up with a picture this morning because the problem is, I said, how do I draw a picture of grief? Because this is what we think of, but the problem is, I'm looking out here right now in this room, and I don't see a whole lot of this right now. In fact, I may see some of this. Okay? Or I, I may even see some of this. And so when I'm sitting here going, well, what in the world does grief look like? I think this is a better picture. Can everybody see it? What is it? It's a question mark. Can anybody tell me what grief looks like? Well, we have pictures, right? What does your grief look like? Will you bring up the, the picture for me? This is maybe what we think of. Is, is there different pictures here, Patrick? Bring, there you go. All right, so we've got different pictures here of what grief may look like. You see the guy in, in the, on the top left there? He looks like he's grieving over something. How about the guy at the, the park bench? Grieving. And the child and the mom, they're sad about something. Something's going on. But what about that one on the bottom left? What does grief look like? You see, grief can look like, meh. It can look like anger. It can look like sadness. It can look like tears. It can also look like joy. Because remember I said a few months ago, I said, we've got to come into these environments. We've got to come into church. We've got to come into safe places and take off our mask. And that's what's been terrible about this pandemic, is that we've, it's allowed us to wear a physical mask to cover up our metaphorical mask when we don't let people know what we're feeling. And when we're grieving, we don't even know how to respond to it. Now this morning, you may be thinking about well, grief in your own light and what you're understanding. You're thinking that grief comes from loss. You're thinking that grief comes from when someone loses a loved one or a lost job opportunity or, or a place in life or lost expectations. That's a big one, right? Well, let's define grief for a second. What is grief? Well, according to dictionary.com, you know I love my definitions. Grief is keen mental suffering or distress over affliction or loss. Sharp sorrow. How about this one? Painful regret. Does that describe grief to you? Do you feel like, oh, I have a better understanding of grief? You know, I looked it up grief on uh, medicinenet.com. And this is what it says, it says normal process of re, uh, it's the normal process of reacting to loss. And the loss may be physical, such as death, or social, social such as a divorce. How, how many people have, have seen someone or felt the grief in divorce? Oh, it's painful, it hurts, doesn't it? Some grief is occupational, you, you lose your job, or you're in a job that you just don't like, and it's a struggle to get up every day. Now, hopefully you can read it, but it says the emotional reactions of grief can include anger, guilt, anxiety, sadness, and despair. 
despair is a, it's a tough one. I'm always reminded of the pit of despair in the Princess Bride. Seeing the Princess Bride? You know, and it's just, it's just a terrible place to be. Just no feeling and it's just you're overwhelmed. Physical reactions of grief can include sleeping problems. Some of you are having that this morning. So I know you're grieving if you're sleeping on me, all right? Changes in appetite. Physical problems or illness. So that's grief. Now what we're going to talk about today is sorrow and grief and a couple different other words, but what is sorrow? Sorrow is distress caused by loss, affliction, disappointment. See, that's the feeling. Sorrow is the feeling. Grief is maybe what you experience or what is called. Sorrow is what is caused by these things. It's, it's, it's the sadness. It's the regret. So, as I said, what does your grief look like? It looks different to all people. But this is what I want. I, I want to paint a couple pictures this morning. As we're going to look at a, we're going to look at a lot of passages today. Okay, so fair warning. Okay, I asked, I asked the worship team to sing an exciting song this morning because I'm going to kill you in your seats. <laughs> Today is going to be a painful message. And today's message is not going where you think it's going. You see, a lot of people may be in here today thinking, well, he's going to talk about my grief and everything that I'm struggling with. I'm so glad to hear about how to deal with this feeling. I'm not going to talk about that kind of grief today. I'm going to give a few different examples of, of a response to grief in the Bible, what causes that grief, and what kind of grief that we should be experiencing on a daily basis. And with that, we have to go to God's Word. Because if we want to understand God's grief, godly grief, godly sorrow, we have to look at what God says about it, right? Amen? Okay, so... This morning, the first passage we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 19. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. And I want you to see this, that grief that does not lead to heart change leaves you where you are. If the grief that, is in you, that you're experiencing, the sorrow that you're experiencing, the sadness that you're experiencing is not leading to heart change, then you're only left where you are in the pit of despair. There's no way out. And so you're running around with a different face every day, but you're constantly feeling the grief. You're constantly feeling regret. You're constantly feeling the pain, or you may be not feeling at all. So this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19, and it may be some, a story that's very familiar with some of us here. And it's about the rich man and the kingdom of God. And Look with me at Matthew 19, verse 16. And so Jesus is telling a story, and he's, he's talking to some people, and all of a sudden, this guy comes up to him. In verse 16, it says, Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Notice what he called him, teacher. He says, what good thing, what do I have to do to grab a hold of eternal life, to get it? And then Jesus looks at him and he responds. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. He's talking about God, right? He's talking about God. He says, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now look, we're going to hang on, hang on to this for a second right here. He looks at him and he says, 
Tell me something that I don't know. Tell me how I'm doing. Tell me that I'm doing all right. And he says, what, what good do I have to do? What can I accomplish in my own will and power to achieve eternal life, to, to get eternal life? But Jesus turns it around and he says, there's only one who's good, which means there's nothing that you can do that's good because goodness comes from the source who is God. And he says, there's only one who's good. And if you want to, did he say, get life? What's he say there? What's that word? If you want to, everybody read it. Enter life. Isn't that strange? If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, how can I get, a, uh, how can I get this uh, can of pop? And you look at him and say, well, you enter the can of pop like this. That doesn't make any sense, right? I want to know how to grab a hold of this thing. And Jesus says, it's not something to grab a hold of. It's something that you enter. It's something that you journey through. And this is a clue. We're talking about grief this morning. We're talking about godly sorrow. Why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. God is the only thing that's good. If you want to enter life, you've got to keep the commandments that come from God. Okay, so this, this conversation is really, really great. So the, the guy, I mean, he, he's asking amazing questions. In verse 18, he, the guy says, well, which ones? Which commandments do I keep? And Jesus responds and he says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are great, right? It's, it's the second half of the Ten Commandments. Okay, so let's, let's hang on to this for a second. Is Jesus telling him that the way to enter life, the way to enter eternal life, the way to be saved, the way to find salvation is to make sure that you're doing good things all the time? Is, is, it, is it to make sure that you are following the Ten Commandments to a T? No, what he's doing is he's pointing to the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments pointed to God's character. Okay, so we look at the Ten Commandments and we think they're a list of rigid rules that God laid this out and said, if I can do all this, I'm good to go. But what God did was he said, hey, I'm going to paint a picture of who I am. I'm going to paint a picture of my character and what I care about. And so when Jesus pointed and he said, you've got to obey the commandments. He said, you've got to understand who God is. You've got to be poured in. Your goodness needs to come from him. Okay, let's continue. In verse 20, the man answers like every single one of us answers every single day. He says this, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? Now, I couldn't tell from this story, I couldn't tell from the context if this is arrogance. Hey, Jesus, I'm good to go. I've followed those things. Or if it's ignorance. And so one of, a, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves this morning, and this is where I said that today's going to be brutal, all right? Am I arrogant or am I ignorant? And the truth is, there's something in our life that we're either arrogant or ignorant about. Will you bow your heads and pray with me this morning, dear God? This morning, as we look at your word and we look at grief, I pray that you will open our hearts so that we can be honest with you, with ourselves, and with one another. Honest about our need for you. And I pray, God, that you would reach deep down and show us where we're falling short. Show us where we're not building our life on you. 
I pray, God, that you would show us a glimpse of who you are this morning in a special way so that we can experience godly grief, godly sorrow, and brokenness. Brokenness that leads to repentance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew, 8, Matthew 19, the, the guy continues. He says, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? In verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, and now he's pointing back to Matthew chapter 5 when he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be like God, if you want to do what God says, if you want to honor his character, if you, if you want to enter into this journey of eternal life and understand what it's about, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Okay, let's just break down that verse for a second. He says, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Verse 16 said, just then a man came up to Jesus. Before that moment, the man was living a life in a certain direction. He met Jesus and he said, how do I find salvation? And Jesus' response, you could try to be good, but only God is good. And so the only way to receive his goodness is is through him. And the way to do that is to go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. The way to do that is to get rid of everything that you were before you met me in this moment. It's to change your perspective. He says you've got to flip the script. He said, change me from teacher to Lord. Stop calling me teacher and start calling me master. Stop calling me teacher and you master and call me Lord and me master. You see, Jesus said, get rid of your old life. Look where your loyalties lie, where your treasure is there, where your heart, be also, your heart will be also. And so he continues and he says, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Well, Pastor Andrew, what in the world does this have to do with grief? Good grief, Pastor Andrew. Well, we're getting there. Verse 22 is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible because it is the reality of so many people. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, that word He went away sorrowful. He went away grieving because he had great wealth. Now, I want you to underline that because he had great wealth. Because that means a whole lot more. The Bible is not telling us, Matthew is not telling us here in this moment that the reason he went away sad was because he had wealth. But the reason he went away sad was because of what that wealth, the hold that that wealth had on his life and his eternity. You see, the man was grieving. He was grieving for what he would lose. All right? So as we look at this this morning, we need to think about this, that grief that does not lead to heart change leaves you where you are. 
This man came and left the same person. He came and met Jesus and he left the same person. His heart was in the same exact state. In fact, he was worse off because he walked away grieving that he couldn't do anything on his own, that he couldn't buy his way into heaven. He was unwilling to give up the things that he wanted to gain what he needed. All right, so this is one picture of a response to grief. This is a picture of some of the things that we grieve about. So what do we grieve about? We grieve about loss, right? And we see right here that this is a problem sometimes that we grieve about things that we shouldn't be grieving about. Now, I'm not talking about when we lose someone, we're sad, and we, when we're, we're divorced, that we're hurt. I'm not saying it's bad to grieve in those moments, but what I'm saying is when it comes to a place where God says, it's time to get rid of your old life and move, enter into a new relationship with me, you must move forward. Allow your grief to be a different kind of grief. You know, Revelation 18, 11 to 13 shows us this kind of worldly grief that I'm talking about this morning. In, um, in Revelation 18, there's this picture of what happens kind of at the end times. And, and there's a, a great nation that is just completely obliterated. And Revelation 18, 11 through 13 shows us the people's response to this obliteration. Can you bring it up for me, please? Revelation 18 says this, The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, this nation that was lost, because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls. Fine linen, purple silk, and scarlet cloth. Every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. Do you see what's going on there? I, I read that fast and I ran it all together because this just like runs the gamut of all the things that we care about and the things that we grieve about that we shouldn't be grieving about. This is a picture of a people who, who are grieving what they'll lose. They look at a situation when, when God is punishing a nation. And rather than being sad and looking at their own place and saying, wow, I don't want to be punished like that. What do I have to do? They're like, man, Look at the chances I just lost. This is, that's a picture of worldly grief, and it, it kind of runs on the, on the, tails, the coattails of, of the rich man there. So we need to be careful that, that grief leads to heart change, because if it doesn't lead to heart change, we stay where we are. And why does that matter for us today? Because we are in a building called a, a church. We are a body of people called the, you can say it, church. Everybody say church. We are a body of people called the church. If we go through our life, our life and, and we have opportunities to grieve, and we don't allow that grief to lead to heart change, then we're exactly where we are, we stay where we are, and we can't be effective for God and His kingdom. That's why feelings matter, because feelings point to where we're falling short and where we're succeeding, where we're in line and where we're out of line. Feelings are our guardrails. All right, so if, if grief that, um, 
that doesn't lead to change keeps you in the same place. Well, then grief that leads to heart change has no regrets and brings restoration and renewal. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I told you we're going to be jumping around in the Bible today. This next section here deals with the fact that, that grief that leads to heart change is a good thing. It has no regrets. And it brings restoration and, re- and renewal. 2 Corinthians 7 verses 8 and 9. This is Paul. The Apostle Paul is writing to the, the Christians, the church in a place called Corinth. And this is his third letter at least. But between 1 and 2 Corinthians, there was another letter that went out. You see, Paul had been offended. He'd been sinned against by someone in the Corinthian church. And it was bad. We don't know what it was, but it was bad. And they, they questioned his apostolic authority, and they questioned the fact that he was there in, in the name of God, and he was doing what God wanted. And what happened is the church apparently just stood by and let it happen. And so Paul left, and he was grieving, and he was hurting. And he wasn't just hurting for himself. He was hurting because the, the, the relationship was broken, and there needed to be reconciliation and restoration. There needed to be renewal. But he was also hurting for his people because he knew that as long as that church was out of alignment, they were living in sin, they weren't dealing with this thing, then their relationship with God was broken on their end. And they couldn't serve and honor God the right way. So, let's see what happens in 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. He wrote a letter then, and, and he called them out, and he said, hey, you guys are wrong, you got to get right with God. And, and he got back news of their response to that letter, and it says, this is what it says. In verse 8, he said, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. And he says, I don't regret writing... I don't regret writing the letter, but at the time, I, 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 was, I was pained by it because I didn't want to hurt you. And isn't it, isn't it so hard to call people out? It is so hard sometimes when you see a brother or sister, someone you love that is just walking in sin, and it's so hard to call them out, and it's just like, oh man, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I know it is. And, and, and there's this, we're nervous to go, uh, go up to them and say, hey, friend, I'm you're doing this wrong. But the truth is, if we want to see a heart change that leads to restoration renewal, we've got, we've got to say things sometimes. And Paul had to say things here. He says, though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet, in verse 9, now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry. He's not happy because they were sorry, but because their sorrow led to repentance. Underline that. Because your sorrow led to repentance. This is what he was happy about. This is what godly grief does. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. As God intended. And then verse 10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Let's sit on that for a second. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is is a picture of when we're broken over our sin. When we look at God, when we look at ourselves, 
and it hurts because we know we're not measuring up. But God doesn't want us just to have that feeling of sorrow and to stay there. You see, He wants our sorrow to lead to a heart change. Repentance is when our heart changes, when we turn around, turn away from what we're doing and turn to God. And so he says, godly sorrow brings repentance that doesn't stay there but leads to salvation. What's this picture of salvation? It's not, he, it, there's, there's two ways that he's talking about this here. He's talking about from a person who's never been saved in their life, who's never given their life to Christ. In order to come to Christ, in order to enter into that life that the rich man was asking about, we have to have sorrow be broken over our sin. We have to repent. We have to turn away from that sin. And when we do that, when we turn to God, we're going to enter into salvation. What happens after we've already entered into that salvation? Every single time that we sin, we throw, up, we throw something up between us and God. He can still see us, but we're like John Cena. You can't see me. We think God can't see us behind our hand going like this. Every single time that we take our hand down and we say, God, look, my, my heart is a mess. I am going to confess to you. I'm going to tell you what you already know about me. I'm going to admit to you what you already know about me, what is true about me. Because I want this relationship on my end. I'm going to quit disconnecting the phone, God. I'm going to plug it back in because I want to have this conversation with you. I want to live with you here. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Do you want to know if you've experienced godly sorrow? Do you look at your old life and miss it? Or are you glad you're out of it? Do you look at your old life when you would engage in that sin, whatever it is, fill in the blank, and think, ah, I kind of wish I could go back to that. Or do you look at it with a happy face? Do you look at it with um, a good nostalgia? This is what I had to look at this week. I had to say, God, look, where, <laughs> where in my life am I looking back at the way that I was before you grabbed a hold of me and I entered into your life? And what do I miss? You see, godly sorrow says, I don't miss it one bit. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly grief says, I'm broken over my sin. I'm broken over my offense to you. Worldly grief, worldly sorrow says, I only hurt because of the consequences of my sin. I only hurt because that person found out. I only hurt because it hurt my spouse, my child, my friend, my relationships. When we don't realize, when we don't take the time to look at the fact that our sin is a direct offense to God, then it's not godly sorrow. We need to understand that. Grief that leads to heart change has no regrets and it brings restoration 
and renewal. All right, let's continue in verse 11. This is kind of the result of this godly sorrow. This is, this is what Paul says in verse 11. He says, he says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. He says, what earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation. What alarm. What longing and what concern. What readiness to see justice done. At every point you've proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. What does godly sorrow godly grief produce. It produces restoration and renewal. Why? What says earnestness, this desire, this true desire to get things right. He said, this is what happened. I saw your lives change. I saw your hearts change and you had an earnestness to get things right. You were eager to clear yourselves. You were eager to get things cleaned up. You were eager to get to the bottom of the problem. And there was a righteous indignation. When you looked at what you'd done, when you looked at your sin, you were not happy about it at all. In fact, you were alarmed. Is, is this painting a picture of, of your own life? Is this painting a picture of your heart right now? As you think about who God is, who you are, what you've done in your life, what you're doing this past week, what you're thinking in these moments, are you alarmed when those responses, those actions, those thoughts are sin against God? Are you indignant? Do you long for change? Are you concerned and are you ready to get to the bottom of it and get this thing cleared out? That is a picture of godly sorrow. That's what godly sorrow does. And with this, uh, Paul was so excited, he was so happy about this because those changes brought about reconciliation in their relationship. And he was able to continue working with them and encourage them to walk in God. You see, here's the thing, when it comes to sorrow, when it comes to grief, when we're talking about godly grief, we're talking about brokenness. God desires brokenness. Write it down. And then I want you to write the question, am I broken? You see, the struggle in our lives, one of the hardest, one of the most difficult things, one of the most difficult obstacles and barriers to coming to a saving relationship in Christ is the fact that we haven't hit rock bottom. The fact that we haven't been broken. What is brokenness? Well, brokenness, according to freedictionary.com, is the quality of being broken. <laughs> Go figure, right? But what is being broken? Crushed by grief. Are you crushed by your grief? You know, in, um, in her book, Brokenness, The Heart Revives, Nancy Lee DeMoss, she says this, she says, brokenness requires a choice, an act of the will, 
The bro- true brokenness is an ongoing, constant way of life, a moment-by-moment lifestyle of what? Of agreeing with God about the true condition of my heart and life. Not as everyone else thinks it is, but as He knows it to be. God desires brokenness. This is what He desires. He desires a choice. He desires an act of the will. He desires that we have an ongoing, a constant, a day-to-day, moment-by-moment lifestyle that says, God, I agree with who you say I am. I agree with what you say is wrong. I agree with what you say is right. I love who you are, and I am doing everything I can to love you more. And every single time I know that I'm not loving you, I am broken over it. It's choice. So as I was going through this, I was having a hard time kind of pinpointing this thing. Okay, so God wants me to have godly grief. God shows what the results of the godly grief are. In fact, God even shows what what some of the actions of a godly sorrow are. God shows us what brokenness looks like, but the question for me is how do I get there? Because I'm sitting in church every single Sunday. I'm driving everywhere. I'm driving around. I'm walking through this life on autopilot half the time, and I'm being desensitized, and I don't know what's going on. How many people remember their, their drive every day to work this week? Can you remember every time you had to stop at a stoplight? Can you remember every vehicle in front of you? Have you ever gone somewhere that you've driven every single day and then you forget the drive there? Oh man, I I don't even remember driving to work today. Because we live life on autopilot. We can't live our life on autopilot when it comes to our sin and when it comes to who God is. We've got to break free from the autopilot and we've got to drive. In fact, we've got to get in the next seat and say, Jesus, take the wheel and teach me the whole way there. Be my driver's ed instructor and tell me everything about how I'm coming to a rolling stop instead of an actual stop. Tell me how I'm running red lights. Tell me how I'm not using my signal when I'm changing lanes. God, tell me how I'm breaking the rules and tell me where I'm supposed to be going. Because every time I try to drive... I put it in cruise control. So how can I truly, how can I be truly broken over my sin? Well, Psalm 51, I, I, this, is a, this is a great passage. I've been talking about some of this the last couple of weeks. But how can I be truly broken over my sin? Well, let's look at Psalm 51, verses 7 to 9. It, David says, after he'd sinned before God, he says this, he says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. He says, you've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. When he's talking about being broken, when we're talking about being broken, we're talking about this idea of shattering our self-will. When you break a horse, do you you break its, its desire to run? No. You just change who gets to be in control. Who's holding the reins? And that's what God does. You know, a a horse is free to roam and do whatever it wants, but if it really wants to go the the best way on a track, it's going to need a jockey to get on there and show it the right way around. Tell it when to jump, tell it when to go left, and go left, and go left, and go left. That's all they do is they go left. But when we're talking about a broken spirit, this is what we're talking about. 
We're not saying we don't have the ability to function. It's saying we've given up our self-will. We've shattered our self-will to pieces and said, God, I'm going to follow you. And so Psalm 51 continues in verse 10, and David says, Creating me a clean heart, O God, renew a loyal spirit in me. Don't banish, banish me from your presence and don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And then finally, this is what, Paul, this is what um, David gets to in verse 16. He says, God, you don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. He says, he says, I know you don't want me to do things on the outside when the inside is the problem. He says, the sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So, what do we do? How can we be truly broken? Well, this is what we've got to do. We've got to see God with fresh eyes. Shift our perspective from us to Him. So, how do you see God with fresh eyes? Well, you get in His Word. You cannot know God if you're not reading what He wrote about Himself. You cannot know God if you're not listening to what people are, are breaking down about what he says about himself. You cannot know God if you're not in community with people that love and know God. You cannot know God if you don't talk to him. So, see God with fresh eyes. Open your Bible. God, show me today. Show me today and as I read this book, as I read this letter to us, as I read this story of how Jesus, you fit into every piece of history. God, I want to read it and see who you are because when seeing who you are, I see who I am better. And I know, Lord, I need you. Next thing, you've got to choose to be broken. Remember, it's a choice. You've got to choose. You've got to want to be broken. And you've got to admit your spiritual need for brokenness. I want to be broken. I know I need to be broken. And you admit that to God, and you admit it, admit it to others. You see in her book, she talks about the idea of taking the roof off, admitting to God that I need to be broken, and taking the walls down, admitting to one another that I need to be broken as well. We're in a church where we want to take the masks off. That's what we're shooting for. We want to be an authentic, real church. And then we've got to get off the bench. Well, what are we talking about, Pastor Andrew? Get off the bench. Well... You've got to actually do what God says. God says in his word, he says, follow me, obey me. He's got different commands and different principles in here to show you his character. If God says, look, I know you're not broken because you've got too many distractions in your house. You've got too many distractions in your mind, then clear the distractions. Stop doing the things that you shouldn't be doing and do more of the things that God wants you to do. Get off the bench. Well, what's, what now? I mean, I'm closing this thing up. Worship team's going to come on up. Does my attitude towards sin, toward my sin, say that I am too proud or that I'm truly broken? This is the question for today. I want you to look at that. And I want you to think about your heart. We're going to jump back to this committing thing. Do you want to be broken? One, commit to seven days of clearing your crowded heart 
and praying for true brokenness from God. For the next seven days, this is what we're doing as a church. Because when we're a church who's broken in our sin, when we're a church who understands who God is and where we stand in relation to him, we're going to affect change in the community. We're going to reach people for him and build his kingdom, right? So we've got to pray for that. It's a choice to pray. Psalm 51, 7 and 9, we want to read the verses. Purify me from my sins. Wash me. Give me my joy back again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. God, I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I want to be broken so I can be restored to joy. So what are the next steps for the next seven days? Set an alarm right now. You know I love my alarms. We're going to change the last one to this one. Set an alarm for 5.17 p.m. so that you can remember Psalm 51, verse 7. Purify me from my sins. So let's go ahead and set that alarm right now. 5.17 p.m. And every time that alarm goes off, and and I bet some of you are going to be at the dinner table for this. Make sure you set it for all seven days until you come back next week. 5.17 p.m. You want to remember the verse. Psalm 51, verse 7. And finally, the third step is we've got to be in accountable relationships. Do you want to be broken? Do you want a broken heart that leads to change, that, that gets you out of where you are and moves to where God has, would have you be? You've got to be accountable to one another. You've got to be involved with one another in these relationships. You've got to talk, because otherwise, you're just running around like this. Don't be like this. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for, for loving us, for showing us in your word that we, that we need to be broken, that we need this grief to lead to heart change, God. I pray you will help us as a church, as individuals, to want to be broken because we want to serve you and love you more. We need you for this, God. But we also know that that, that blessed are those who are broken because they're going to see God. Blessed are those who, who mourn. They're going to inherit the earth. God, you want to do something through us and you want to bless us, God, and you want us, our joy to be restored. And so in that brokenness comes a restored joy so that we can sing wherever we go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.